Well, happy Easter, everyone. It is great to be with you. Uh, my name's Reese. I'm one of the pastors here. If uh, we don't know each other, really glad that you're here. I echo Abby's welcome to you. Uh, I want to do something that uh, has actually been done for 16 centuries now, since 400 AD. There has been this practice on Easter morning where someone declares a statement and then all the people echo a statement back. And for 16 centuries, this has been done. And the statement is, he is risen. And then everyone responds with, he is risen indeed. So do you wanna give that a go? Okay, here we go. He is risen. He is risen indeed. All right, amen, let's praise our God. Now, we have just done something that has connected us with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Isn't that cool? Well, today, uh, there is something happening not just in this venue, not just venues across our city, across our state, across our country, but literally across the world. In fact, 2.3 billion people come out today to acknowledge an event that happened that split history in two. And remember, no one expected this event. It was the most unexpected event that has ever happened in human history. Think about the last time you experienced something that was really unexpected in your life. Like, has someone ever thrown you a surprise party and you stepped into the room and suddenly all these people were there and you're like, wow, I, I didn't see this coming. This was so unexpected. Right? Or, or maybe uh, your boss calls you into the office and, and you had no idea that they were doing a cycle of uh, pay raises and you get presented a pay raise and you're like, oh my goodness, I, I just didn't expect this. So a few years ago, uh, I was at my daughter's basketball game and they were an away game. They were really struggling at halftime and the coach sat the girls down on the floor in a circle and uh, I was in the parent bleachers on the other side of the court and I'm looking on and my daughter's got her back to me and I just feel like I, I wanna break parent protocol. I know you shouldn't do this, but I climb out of the bleachers. I walk across the basketball court and I come up to my daughter and she's got her back to me and I just put my arm on her shoulder and I lean down by her ear and I just said, hey honey, you're doing great and dad's proud of you. And you know, there's this circle of girls and in this moment, uh, this just arrested all of their attention. But there was one particular girl who was directly across from me and she just had her eyes locked on me the whole time. And, and I have to admit, I had this thought like maybe she doesn't have a dad who can encourage her, you know, in times like this. Well, it was that particular girl that spoke up and she spoke one word, and I will never, ever forget this one word that this girl said. And the whole circle of girls were listening in as this girl looked directly in my eyes and she said, Dad, I was hugging the wrong girl. <laughs> you talk about unexpected. This 14-year-old girl had a strange man hugging her telling her he was proud of her. I so butchered that moment. I think I just walked across the court back and I never even encouraged my real daughter. Right? <laughs> Today, friends, we have to pause and acknowledge that that story doesn't compare with how unexpected the resurrection of Jesus Christ is. 
The resurrection happened early on a new day. And I wanna spend some time together talking about a, a kind of sort of new day in your life. In the Bible, in Luke chapter one, it reads, because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. And today we launch a new three-week series uh, called The Miracle of Mercy. And we're gonna look at exactly that, the miracle that is God's mercy in our lives over the next three weeks. You see, most people who avoid God, avoid God because they do not understand his mercy. Because to truly understand the mercy of God is to experience that peace in your life increases. That stress decreases, the sense of well-being goes up, your frustration lowers, and your satisfaction in life is higher because of God's mercy. So let me, let me give you a definition of, of God's mercy. First, a robust one, and, and, and then I'll give you a simple one. Here's this robust one. God's mercy. Mercy is the act of not administering justice when justice is punitive. Because of our sinfulness, we deserve death and eternal separation from God. But God provided an atonement for sin and through it shows us mercy. All right, here's a, here's a more simplified. Mercy is unmerited forgiveness plus undeserved favor. If you wanna think about the mercy of God, it's unmerited forgiveness that he extends to us and he extends undeserved favor to us. Now, the early church in the first century, they came up with a whole bunch of metaphors to help understand the implications of the mercy of God in our life. In fact, when you come to the Word of God, the Bible, it is full of metaphors, full of illustrations, unpacking uh, eternal truths to help us understand them by drawing an illustration as a comparison. And so I wanna share two of these metaphors with us this morning that the early church uses to describe the mercy of God and then one metaphor that Jesus uses. So here's the first one. The first one goes like this. Imagine a family, a mom, dad, three kids. The dad has been out of work for over 18 months now and he is starting to feel this financial strain on his shoulders like never before. They're behind in their mortgage and the bank has started to use that word for the first time, foreclosure. And the family sits around their dinner table and they start to wonder, are we living in the last days of this home that we've come to love? They've used credit cards to keep them afloat up to this point, but they're all maxed out. And then the medical bills from that medical issue that happened late last year, and because dad's out of work, they have no health insurance. And so he knows they owe medical bills that add up to a small fortune. And they sit around their kitchen table in this uncharted territory as a family. And the mum gets up, and she knows she's heading to a pantry that they're possibly at the last of a meal that could be put together. She opens the pantry and 
there is a can of beans, uh, a box of saltine crackers, and in the fridge is some yogurt. And she stands there with her back to her family, and a tear runs down her cheek as she realizes, I'm failing my children. And that moment is broken by a knock on the door. And at their door is a neighbor, and in his hands are two big bags of groceries. And he comes on in, and he says, hey, I know the hardship that you guys have been going through, and here is some good food to fill your stomachs. And he puts the, the groceries on the table. He says, mind if I sit down? And he does, and, and the, the mom is just there, and now a second tear runs down her cheek, because she's been living at the crossroads of despair and hope all at the same time. And this neighbor says to the dad, you know, you, you mind if I ask, like, I, I know you've been out of work. Um, have, uh, have you maxed out some credit cards? And the dad says, yeah, I have. And he said, well, I, I brought my checkbook and I'd, I'd love to write a check for you. Would, you. would you tell me how much your credit cards are? And and while we're at it, like, where are you at with the mortgage? And the dad says, you know, we're, we're behind to the extent that they're talking foreclosure. And he says, no, no, you misunderstand. I don't mean your payments. I mean, how much is the note? How much is remaining on your mortgage? He said, I have a check with me and I want to write it to, to cover that. In fact, I know about the medical issue that happened late last year. And, and so tell me what you still owe on those medical bills your, your credit card, your car payment, tell me it all. Now, if you've ever walked through really financial struggles, you tend to know your numbers. So this dad was able to say, well, the total of all these things, it's this number. And this neighbor says to him, so if I was to write you a check to cover all of that, would that help? Says <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding? Of course it would help. And he says, well, I don't want to write a check for that number. I actually want to double that number. And then I'm going to add a zero on the end of it. See, there's something you don't know about me. I am the sole heir of a billionaire's fortune and I'm going about to give it all away. And you guys are the first check that I'm going to write. And I want it to look after you, not only just now, but for the future. And, and by the way, here is a, an automatic recharge card for Harris Teeter. Your groceries are paid for forever on this card. And he says, let me write this check, sign it, and then I'll get out of your hair. And the neighbor walks out the door. And here is this family sitting around this table. And they're like, do we high five each other right now? Like, what's appropriate? Well, the early church recorded it this way in Colossians chapter two. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Bible scholar Alastair Begg writes it like this. How is it? 
that he can show us such grace, freeing us from the sin and guilt and bringing us every benefit in Jesus Christ because of his mercy. It is God's great mercy that inclines him to give us what we don't deserve. And by that mercy, he showers us with grace. You see, in the first century, what they were trying to come up with was a description that all people would understand about the mercy of God and what it meant in their life. The best thing they could come up with is something that cancels all of your debt. Now, they didn't so mean financial debt because understand financial debt is easily removed because you can remove it with money. But what they were talking about is substantially more difficult than that. Financial debt that's solved with money, but this is the kind of debt that takes in regret, shame, and guilt. This kind of debt that smolders beneath the surface of our lives. And the resurrection has brought about a cancellation of all of those debts. It's been paid and we're freed from the crippling weight of the debt of our sin. So let's go back to the dining room table and there is the dad holding the check and he looks around the room and he looks into the eyes of each of his three kids and then to his wife, he holds up the check and he declares, this changes everything. It changes everything. Well, the mercy of God, friends, that we celebrate on the resurrection morning changes everything. The mercy of God changes everything. Everything is changed. And what the early church knew as they wrote to you and I is that this is a debt that has been paid for our sin in the past, in our present, and in the future. It's more than we need. Jesus' sacrifice is more than we need because it covers even our wrongdoings in our future. So the second metaphor comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, and it's the scripture that's written on your mercy card that you received on your way in, and it reads, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. As the early church wrestled with how to explain the implications of the mercy of God, they talked about debt cancellation, and then they talked about something called new birth. Now, I've asked Isaac if he would come out and help me with this. Isaac? Hold on. Isaac, are you there? Here is little Isaac. There is something about babies, isn't there? See, I knew when I walked out with Isaac, you guys would all smile. <laughs> what is it about new birth that makes us smile? Is there something about the beauty of the potential of new birth? 
Is there something that we understand that he's yet to have any of the bumps and bruises and scars and hurt that comes from this world? And if we look on at this baby and we smile because of the beauty of potential. See, Isaac's yet to be excluded. He's yet to ever experience what it feels like to be left out. He hasn't experienced what it means for him to say something that he wished he could take back or to do something that he deeply regrets. He hasn't been misunderstood and misinterpreted. He hasn't been gossiped or talked about from behind his back. See, there's purity in potential, isn't there? So we look at the life of a baby and we smile because we know that his little life is full of possibilities. Imagine what these little eyes will see, these little ears will hear, this little hand will touch, or where these little feet will step. <laughs> I need to soothe you with my Aussie accent. Come on, Isaacs. <laughs> stay, stay with me. <laughs> but we know... Yeah, we know that it's full of potential. Who knows what his life will come? Could he be the next Tom Holland or Jeff Bezos or Patrick Mahomes or maybe the next Billy Graham or Martin Luther King Jr.? You see, the fact is, if it wasn't for God's mercy, you wouldn't have been born. If it wasn't for God's mercy, you wouldn't be hearing my voice and seeing me right now. If it wasn't for the mercy of God, you wouldn't be breathing air into your lungs and your heart pumping blood around your body if it wasn't for the mercy of God. If it wasn't for the mercy of God, you wouldn't be here today. That is the mercy of God. You did so well. <laughs> Can we thank little Isaac? So awesome, thank you. He's just telling me about his therapy session that he's gonna have, you know. You held me up like Simba in front of all these people. <laughs> There's something about new birth, isn't there? Well, Jesus shared an unforgettable metaphor one day. And the thing about Jesus' metaphor that he shares is once you hear it, it leaves you with a decision to make. And today is that day. And I wanna lay it out for you right now. He said this in John chapter 12. Now the time has come for the Son of Man, Jesus talking about himself, to enter into his glory. I tell you the truth, Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. There's something about life and this metaphor of a seed falling to the ground and being buried that we can relate to. Here's why. See, some of you listening to my voice right now feel like life has thrown you in a hole at late. The dirt of your current circumstances is being shoveled on top of you 
and it feels like there's no light, no air, no sunshine, covered by all this dirt you can't see or move, and you're here this morning, and you're wondering, how much more of this can I take? But here is the hope of this metaphor. Pastor Albert Tate says it like this, for the seed wasn't buried, it was only planted. But what if you're being planted right now and not buried? You see, being planted can feel a lot like being buried. But it's right then that God often does more than you can ask or imagine. And this is the good news of God's mercy in this metaphor. For in a buried seed, there is new life. The miracle that takes place, something high above the earth says to something beneath the earth within that seed, rise up, and it does. A small stem breaks through the surface of the ground and starts to reach out for the sun. And God wants you to know in the midst of this current season that you're walking, and at times it's felt like you've been buried But in his perfect timing and in his mercy, he will call forth to you to rise up. You see, there was a man who was destined to die on a cross and he knew it. He had chosen to do it. He believed if he died on the cross, then something horrible and heroic would take place. He believes that he could turn the symbol of the cross into a symbol of mercy. You see, the cross was always the symbol of ruthless execution and humiliation. And the powers of that day intended to use that very humiliation, the cross, to stop this Jesus rebellion in its tracks. And Jesus who constantly spoke courageous truth to the powers of the day and it infuriated them. They rallied a scheme against him that led them to hanging him on a cross and killing him and then burying his sorry body in a borrowed tomb. And they said to each other, that's the end of that. We will never hear of that again. That's the end of this problem. But church, Oh, they were so very wrong, so wrong. You see, something high above the earth said to something deep within that borrowed tomb to the second person of the Trinity, It spoke to the second person of the Godhead, to Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. It is time to rise up. And it turned out that Jesus was not buried in that tomb. He was only planted in that tomb and He has risen from the dead. He has risen from the dead. And we are here to acknowledge the greatest unexpected event in human history is the mercy of God demonstrated in saying to Jesus, rise up, rise up. (laughs) But you know what? You know this. None of this means anything at all. In fact, it means nothing 
if you do nothing with it, right? Like if you choose to ignore this, if, 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 if maybe you come to Christmas and you come to Easter at church, and, and maybe you've heard this story and, and maybe you feel like there's something in you that has brought you to church today. But if you ignore the mercy of God, then this all means nothing in your life. What is true is that you will be buried. Our world is like that. And what Jesus said about himself is also true. What he says about seeds is true. What he said about you and me is true. In Titus 3, we read, once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. But... When God, our Saviour, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. As a single life falls to the ground and dies, you must first die to self. Your ego, your sin, your desire to have things your own way, so that you can say, I've been crucified with Christ. So that then you can say to God, not my will, but your will be done. So then, and only then, you will be planted and not buried. Planted means one day, God will say, from high above the earth, into your very soul, rise up, rise up. Jesus speaking in John 11, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. See, I know some of you today, some of you right now, you're far from the mercy of God and you know it. You couldn't honestly say if you know that he's cancelled your debt or that he's given you new birth or that there will ever come a day where you have confidence that he will call out to you to rise up. But you're realising in this moment, the greatest need in your life is for you to admit that you're broken and that you've messed up that you've done wrong before a holy God and there is one thing keeping you, just one thing keeping you from receiving the mercy and the miracle of God and that's your pride. But listen to this. What if I told you that God is literally waiting for you? Isaiah 30, 18 reads, the Lord God is waiting to show how kind he is and to have mercy on you. The Lord always does right. He blesses those who trust him. And so the only reason that you would reject the God who created you, who loves you, has a beautiful plan and purpose for your life, is your pride, your, your arrogance and ego. That's the only thing, by the way, that will keep you out of heaven. 
It's your, it's your pride. Knowingly rejecting the mercy of God. Psalm 86.5 reads, O Lord, you are so good and kind, so ready to forgive, so full of mercy for all who ask your aid. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's the condition for receiving the mercy of God is to ask? Yes. You say, do I have an address for that? Do you mean a scripture? Yeah, I do. It's Acts 2.21 and it reads, but anyone who asks for mercy from the Lord shall have it and shall be saved. I just wanna clarify what the early church meant when they used this word anyone. Because some of you may be confused about who is included in the word anyone. So here goes. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter your ethnicity or the color of your skin, your religious affiliation, your political party, what you've done, who you've done it with, and how long you've done it. It does not matter. It says anyone. Anyone who asks shall receive. Anyone literally means everyone who asks shall receive. Therefore, with the full confidence of Almighty God, listen to me when I tell you it includes you. Here's a, here's a really cool thought. Do you realize that your entire life, God has been preparing you for this moment? I, I want you to know, I, I want you to think about this. Listen to my words carefully. That God has known you and He has loved you your entire life. He created you. He is so proud of you. You are his beloved daughter and son. And, and he has waited for this moment to express to you how much that he longs to show you his kindness and his mercy in even the places where you've messed up and you've missed out. God has waited for this moment. And so I wanna give you an opportunity to respond. You've heard that the anyone who asks includes you. And so I wanna ask you to respond. Now, I'm gonna do this in the, the least weirdest way that I possibly can, okay? So, so just trust me, right? I'm gonna ask if you would just bow your heads and close your eyes for a few moments. I want you to do that so you just realize that no one's looking around and no one's moving around the room and I'm able just to speak to you, just you, for a few moments. So let me put this plainly. What we've been talking today about the mercy of God, this is the most important thing that you will ever face in your life whether you accept and ask for God's mercy or you reject God's mercy. And so if you wanna receive the mercy through Jesus Christ today, 
If you want him to forgive you and to save you, then I'm gonna pray a prayer now and I wanna invite you to listen really carefully. And if you resonate and connect with these words in your heart, I want you to say, me too, God. I want you just to say these words in your heart, me too, God. So here goes. God in heaven, I confess I need your mercy. There is stuff inside of me I cannot control. There is shame and regret, bitterness and hurt. I've got hang-ups and habits and I'm self-centered and I have ego and I've failed on every side. But God, today I choose to lay down my pride and I am asking for your mercy. Jesus, thank you for taking my place on the cross. I know your mercy is the only thing that can make me right before a holy God. So this Easter weekend, I repent and I ask you to apply Jesus' work on the cross over my life and forgive me. God, I wanna come into your forever family to have you walk with me and guide me through every day of my life. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.